0: Welcome to Dermatologically Tested, the podcast of the British Association of Dermatologists with your hosts, Matt Gass and Nina Goad. On this podcast, we'll be exploring the world of our skin with a range of dermatological experts tackling topics from the clinical to the cosmetic. So today we're going to be chatting about the skin microbiome, the flora and fauna that live on your skin. We're going to be covering what they do, what it means when they aren't in harmony and what it could mean for future research.
1: I think this is going to be a really interesting topic today, Matt. Um, One of the things that strikes me is that microbiome wasn't something we really spoke about much sort of 15 years ago. It's quite a new topic in terms of research. So I imagine there will still be questions that remain unanswered. Um, But yes, still interesting to delve into it anyway.
0: Yeah yeah I think it's going to be challenging for casting because there's going to be a lot of ground that we cover and questions we have that I imagine that you know the answers are still emerging and it's not sort of really clear cut at this stage but I think like you say it's it's really interesting to delve into it because there are a lot of exciting areas of research around this just before we go any further I suppose it probably makes sense if I give a little bit of background on what the skin microbiome is and what it does I don't want to preempt our guest too much but hopefully this gives you sort of a bit of a grounding in in what we're going to be discussing today so this extract is from a nature review of the skin microbiome um, nature of the publication that is we'll be sharing this on our social media channels so just in case you want to learn more you can check it out there our skin is home to millions of bacteria fungi and viruses that compose the skin microbiota similar to those in our gut Skin microorganisms have essential roles in the protection against invading pathogens, the education of our immune system and the breakdown of natural products. As the largest organ of the human body, skin is colonised by beneficial microorganisms and serves as a physical barrier to prevent the invasion of pathogens. In circumstances where the barrier is broken or when the balance between commensals and pathogens is disturbed, skin disease or even systemic disease can result
1: So some of that actually makes sense. Some of that sounds a little bit complicated. So I'm hoping that our expert today, Professor Carsten Floor, will be able to shed some light on the topic for us. Uh, Carsten is a consultant dermatologist and an expert in eczema and the skin microbiome. So hi, Carsten. Thanks so much for coming on today.
2: Hi, thanks for having me on the show.
0: So you're here today to talk about the skin microbiome. And as such, I think first things first, what we could really do with is an explanation of what the skin microbiome actually is.
2: Well, the term skin microbiome describes the whole multitude of organisms on our skin, not just bacteria, but also viruses and fungi. Although commonly, people mean the community of bacteria on the skin when they talk about the microbiome. And thanks to modern technology, uh, something called next generation sequencing, which is able to detect the unique genetic signature that bacteria have, we are now able to um, detect about 80% more bacteria compared to the conventional culture methods that we have used over many decades in the past.
0: Fantastic. So we hear a lot of discussion about the skin microbiome in terms of, you know, a healthy skin microbiome or a sort of unhealthy skin microbiome, and that obviously can translate into issues with your skin. But what exactly does a healthy skin microbiome look like and what does it do?
2: Well, we know much less about the viruses and fungi. So let's just focus on the bacteria, if that's okay, Matt. Um, The healthy bacteria on the skin are very diverse and the bacteria in our skin communicate with the skin immune system, something that most people are not aware of. It's important to remember that we have around 20 billion white cells in our healthy skin. Which aren't constant, as we call it, crosstalk uh, with the bacteria on the skin surface, not just the skin we can see with our naked eyes, but also the skin appendages, such as the oil and the sweat glands. So it's that crosstalk, that interaction between the immune system and that bacterial flora that in a healthy skin state is diverse, that keeps the skin barrier intact and well adapted and protected against pathogenic bacteria.
0: Okay, so a healthy microbiome would be sort of diverse, and that's what plays a role in protecting you against negative bacteria, is that right?
2: That's right, yes, yeah, yeah.
1: So I think it's really interesting when you talk about bacteria, Carsten, because I think many people associate bacteria on the skin with, you know, spots or something that perhaps you'd consider to be negative. So... Am I right in thinking that actually there's a role for some bacteria that is positive because those bacteria will effectively fight against, I guess, pathogens or something negative from the external environment that comes into contact with the skin? Is that right?
2: That's right. Yes. And we, we do see bad, so pathogenic bacteria take over when the normal skin flora is disrupted and sometimes that happens because the skin barrier is disrupted so if you've got an inflammatory process like eczema or psoriasis the skin barrier is disrupted the skin microbiome will become less diverse and pathogenic bacteria take over and staphylococcus aureus for instance is the main one that takes over in eczema especially when eczema uh, is severe when the skin barrier is strongly inflamed
1: when we talk about the skin barrier, what do we actually mean there? Is that like a physical barrier or is it a mixture of like a layer of dead skin cells or something and, you know, helpful bacteria? What actually is that barrier? Yes,
2: yeah, so you've got the so you've got the bacteria on the skin surface. You then have dead scales, as you say. So the um, corneocytes that are shed off millions of them every day in everybody. Uh, but in, in a lot of inflammatory skin conditions like eczema and psoriasis, that process will have been accelerated. And then you, as you go down further into the skin, you start encountering cells that have a nucleus as well as mortar, so to speak, between the bricks of the skin barrier. And as you're going down further, you also encounter immune cells like antigen-presenting cells. And they are the cells that are able to communicate with the outside world because they've got dendrites reaching up to the surface of the epidermis and it's very likely that these cells can directly recognize antigen for instance from bacteria not just on the skin surface directly but as I said earlier into the appendages as well the sweat glands uh, and the oil glands of the skin.
1: So if you've got a healthy microbiome, just the right balance of bacteria, I suppose, on your skin surface, that will help support healthy skin generally. What happens when it's not healthy? And what, what does that mean? Does that tend to be triggered by having a skin disease already? Or does it lead to a skin disease? So so what would be the downside of an unhealthy microbiome? And what does that look like?
2: So interestingly, a lot of skin diseases hone in on particular areas of the body. And that may in part be due to the fact that we have ecological niches on our body surface um, where specific bacteria or even fungi or viruses are specializing and are found in higher numbers than in other areas so as an example acne usually affects areas where the skin is rather oily so that's the face or the back Eczema is a skin disease that's very much focused on flexural areas around the eyes, the neck, the flexures of the arms and the legs. And it may well be that that is because the bacteria, in this case, pathogenic bacteria, secreting certain toxins, communicating with the immune system of the skin, take over in those areas. But it's a chicken and egg situation, isn't it, Nina? What comes first, the pathogenic bacteria or the skin disease? As in the context of eczema, my main area of interest, we haven't quite worked out what comes first. We certainly know from some animal models that in people with a genetically predisposed skin barrier defect, there can be an impact on the diversity of the skin with certain pathogenic bacteria taking over first before you actually see the skin disease appearing. But in humans, that is less clear. We certainly know that bacterial skin infections, again with Staph aureus, because Staph aureus secretes a number of toxins that drive the inflammation and in eczema, that the skin infection with staph can be a major flare factor, even if it's not the primary cause of the eczema, that seems to be the skin barrier defect, having a, a more leaky skin barrier, if you like, that's not able to protect itself adequately against the outside world, including staphylococcus aureus. I, I
0: do find it really interesting that there's the sort of different areas of your body which have completely different bacteria and the impact that that can have.
2: By the way, the reason why we don't know so much about the fungi and the viruses is that the microbiome technology that you need to look at them is so much more complicated. Even skin microbiome research is methodologically very complicated. The skin is a very harsh environment. It's obviously exposed to the outside world. The skin pH is low. The density of bacteria is relatively speaking to the gut much much lower on the skin and therefore so sort of sampling bacteria from the skin surface is very challenging compared to doing skin microbiome work on stool samples with the gut being you know teeming with bacteria it's a completely different universe.
0: Yeah yeah I can imagine it's sort of the desert compared to the, yeah, the yeah. jungle as it were. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So we've talked about you know what it might mean for our skin if our microbiome isn't to be healthy or diverse but Is there potential for the skin microbiome to be used to help manage skin disease? And, you know, is that something that's available now or is it still in the stages
2: of research? Yes, I mean, that's being actively researched as we speak. Again, in the eczema context, researchers have been able to identify non-pathogenic skin bacteria that are able to fight Staphylococcus aureus. So these good bacteria Staphylococcus epidermidis is is a good example identified from the people with the infected eczema and then grown in high numbers in the lab and put into a cream to treat the eczema skin infection. We also know from work in psoriasis that um, lactobacilli are less abundant in psoriasis skin and maybe introducing the lactobacilli through a topical product back onto the skin of patients with psoriasis could be a way of treating the disease but this is all very recent research and not available in clinical practice yet.
0: Okay, so you're saying essentially you take the good bacteria from their skin and you encourage it to grow in a cream and that is then put on the skin, is, is the theory?
2: And no, well, it's also the practice in very small numbers, but it, it was the researchers um, in the US were testing good strains, Staphylococcus epidermidis, from the same person with a history of eczema skin infections against the stuff aureus strains that were causing the skin infection in those patients. And then selecting those stuff epidermidis strains, sorry, this is all becoming a bit technical now, that killed the stuff aureus in the lab and grew those specific strains to high numbers and put them back into a cream and showed that even on the skin of those patients, they were able to kill the staph aureus. Another approach has been taken by German researchers. Um, you might know that Germans are very much into spa medicine. So they identified a bacterium from spa water in German spa springs and in French spa springs called vitrochilla filiformis. And they used that in a topical product and published those results a number of years ago in the British Journal of Dermatology, looking at a cream, 5% cream with this organism against vehicle in 75 patients aged 6 to 7 with mild eczema and showed that there's a significant reduction in disease severity, itching and sleep loss uh, a month into treatment. But interestingly, there was no difference in terms of Staphylococcus aureus counts on the skin but that was using conventional culture rather than these modern next generation sequencing approaches that I was talking about earlier but as far as I'm aware that work using a good spa water bacterium hasn't really been developed further by our German colleagues.
0: Okay I mean that's all really interesting I mean is it feasible do you think that in the future you know assuming it goes through more research and is proved you know, repeatedly to be effective and safe and all the rest. Is it feasible that you could have these creams widely available? Or do you think it would be more of a a niche treatment for more severe cases? Because any personalised medicine sounds a bit more complex and expensive.
2: Yes, it really depends on um, how important it is that you take that very personalised approach, like our US colleagues did, using the bacteria from the individual patients, growing them in abundance, the beneficial ones, and then putting them back onto the same patient. That suggests that you have to do a personal skin bacteria transplant, which obviously doesn't lend itself to industrial scale production of topical products or whether maybe a more general approach with good bacteria like this spa bacterium for instance and putting that into a topical product may be useful for treatment or indeed prevention of skin diseases like eczema
0: oh that's really interesting yeah i hadn't considered prevention
1: So it sounds like there are potentially quite clear implications for skin disease research and treatment, as is often the case in dermatology. This sort of knowledge tends to transfer into the realm of, you know, skincare and cosmetics, doesn't it? I've been noticing recently that in the same way that we saw um, an advent in advertising around your gut health and and prebiotics and probiotics and stuff a few years back, that that seems to be now creeping into um, skincare as well. And I went to a talk of couple of years back and it was talking about prebiotics probiotics and postbiotics and their role in cosmetics is this something that you're aware of and is this something that you think is promising for the future or does it tend to just be do you think marketing waffle
2: <laughs> well there's certainly a, a lot of marketing fluff when it comes to this and as you say um, loads and loads of cosmetic products are marketed this way that they apparently have a beneficial effect uh, on the skin microbiome and some even use good bacteria, at least in part. But as far as I'm aware, there is no clear scientific evidence research today that's shown lasting benefits of a cosmetic product to the skin microflora, even if such benefits are claimed by many manufacturers. That's not to say that we might not get there one day. I mean, that'd be great.
1: Yeah. I remember hearing something about prebiotic skincare products and how they were based on sugars or plant oils or something along those lines. And (laughs) I might have misunderstood this entirely, but it was something about those then feeding the good bacteria on your skin. I don't know if this is something that was just being put out there as a potential next step for skincare, or if it's something that's already being incorporated into skin creams. But does that sound something that could be feasible, like feeding the good bacteria? Or again, does that sound like something that might just be a bit... You know, just theory rather than practice.
2: No, it may well be feasible, Nina. That is certainly available already in the context of a gut microbiome, as you're probably aware. Prebiotics in this case just refers to polysaccharides, sugars that feed bacteria, whether good or bad bacteria. And so there's been more gut compared to skin microbiome research combining pre and probiotics, very often lustre bacilli and bifidobacteria in the gut context. And interestingly, I think we haven't explored the potential role of the gut microbiome when it comes to crosstalk and training of the human immune system of the skin as well. I mean, it may well be that having a healthy gut and diverse gut microphora has got a beneficial effect on the skin health as well, even if we don't fully understand the links. There's certainly evidence to suggest that giving probiotics at the end of pregnancy in an early life, alongside breastfeeding, may be beneficial to prevent eczema.
1: Ah, That's actually something I was going to ask you about, because we often talk about, you know, the skin and the brain link. um, And I've also heard people talk about, you know, your gut health, health can be affected by your mental health as well. So could there be some sort of correlation between all three. So could, in theory, your mental health or well-being or your stress levels and things like that impact on your gut and skin microbiome? Or are they not in any way connected like that?
2: No, I strongly suspect that they're all connected. And there is evidence that a reduction in gut bacterial diversity in early life precedes eczema. I mean, most studies that have been done have confirmed this up to about two years of age. But these are observational studies, if you like, they don't shed further light on how exactly the gut microbiome talks to the gut immune system and how that might link in with skin health or other aspects of human health or disease.
1: Oh, so that's an area for developing research then. That sounds really interesting, learning more about those sorts of connections, definitely. Um, I just wanted to very quickly go back to something you mentioned, which I wasn't aware of. So I think it comes down to terminology, really. So prebiotics, I think you mentioned they're basically, um, are they the foods, you know, the things that will feed, so to speak, the bacteria and probiotic. Is that just a term used for the actual bacteria or fungi themselves?
2: Yes. And they they should really be live bacteria as well. That's important. So the lactobacilli, bifida bacteria, for instance, that I was talking about in the gut microbiome context. And people can now buy on the shelves uh, as food supplements should all be, to be effective, live bacteria.
1: Ah, okay. Is there any place for the dead ones? Like, if they were dead, would they have any benefit? Like, I don't know, just in terms of taking up space that might crowd out bad ones, or is, is it just that they have to be live to be active?
2: They have to be live to be active and to be interacting with the human immune system to stimulate it in a positive way.
1: Okay, that's really good to know. Thank you.
0: So, I mean, this has all been really fascinating and it's good to look at future research that might come out of this and the impact that it has on your skin. One thing we haven't covered is, is there anything that people can do to help ensure that they have a healthy ecosystem on their skin? And is it something that you want to tackle at a young age or can you help fix the ecosystem on your skin at any age?
2: Well, this is yet another area that needs further research, for instance, looking at how hygiene practices such as frequency of washing, bathing, showering, and the use of certain wash products, including soaps and shampoos impact on the bacterial skin flora. So for instance, our team recently published data on bathing frequency during the first year of life, and how that links in with skin barrier function and eczema risk. And we found that the amount of water we lose across our skin, we call this trans-epidermal water loss, goes up in a stepwise fashion with an increase in bathing frequency during infancy. And there was also an increased risk in having eczema already at three months of age if babies were bathed more frequently. By more frequently, I mean more than once a day.
0: Oh, wow. So, you know, that's I mean that sounds like very early in life you need to, you know ideally you would um look at managing that so and in terms of because we have you know a lot of the probiotic stuff for for gut health and so on that there's just not a comparable product for for skin health yet is that right
2: Yes that's right and I guess it's it's likely to be relatively simple we live in a society where Hygiene practices are generally quite excessive, certainly if you compare us with our ancestors. And you'd be aware that a lot of wash product contain detergents. They can even change the pH of our skin, which is naturally very low. It's below six, which inhibits the growth of pathogenic bacteria. So our skin is usually very well adapted to the outside world and protected against pathogenic organisms taking over. But if you are destroying That good coating on our skin surface through frequent washing and using harsh wash products, then these bacteria can take over more easily.
1: So, is that what was happening? Just to go back to your point about um, the research looking at infants and and washing and the effect it has on skin health, what's actually happening there when people are overwashing babies or giving them baths too frequently? Is it just washing away the microbiome, the, the beneficial bacteria on the skin, or what's happening there?
2: Um, To be honest, we don't know for sure. So we're currently running a randomized control trial that's uh, funded by the National Institute for Health Research where we are testing whether softening water, and I know I'm changing tack slightly, but there is, you know, along the idea that hard water has got a detrimental effect on skin barrier function and can increase eczema risk. Here we're installing water softness before birth in hard water areas to see whether that can protect a breakdown of the skin barrier and prevent eczema. But as part of this trial, we are also doing very detailed measurements of a number of important parameters of the skin barrier, and that includes the skin microbiome. We are recording how frequently babies are washed. We want to see how that impacts the skin microbiome. We are measuring the skin surface pH, which, as I said, is very important when it comes to protection against pathogenic bacteria. Will the pH, for instance, go up? with an increase in water hardness. And there's some evidence to suggest that is the case, but we need to get further evidence to support that. And we're also looking at the skin immune system and how it reacts in response to changes in the skin microbiome relating to exposure to hard versus soft water and the frequency of washing in these babies.
1: Okay, that's really good to know. So we've been talking about lifestyle and i don't know if that's the right word but what what people can do potentially to support their microbiome i'll come back to that in a minute but this is going to sound very basic but i know we talk a lot about psychodermatology at the moment and it is a bit of a buzzword and we we've talked recently to tony Bewley on this show about the impact that stress has on your skin do you think that a lot of that impact that we see is because of the impact that say stress hormones might have on the levels of certain you know bacteria on your skin or is that just a completely separate issue and they're not connected
2: so there is a it's a very close link between our minds and our skin there's no doubt about it a lot of skin disease patients whether they have psoriasis eczema or acne tell us in our clinics that stressors in daily life that could be bereavement or stress at work or stress with friends can lead to disease flares now, in the context of the skin microbiome, I suspect what would be happening here is that because there's such a close link between our psyche and the skin, that it is the, the flare of the skin disease in the case of eczema or psoriasis, the increase in inflammation and therefore breakdown of the skin barrier that allows the skin flora to be altered, to become less diverse and pathogenic bacteria taking over that then would feed into a disease flare that might have been triggered by life stressors.
1: Okay, yeah, that's good to know.
0: So when these um, pathogenic bacteria take over due to, you know, the the conditions on your skin changing, is it because they're more hardy or is it just, is that just a coincidence or bad luck as it were?
2: I mean, that's worked out in particular detail for Staphylococcus aureus, and the organism does secrete, I think I said it earlier, uh, Matt, in response to another question from you, they do secrete substances, toxins that drive up the cutaneous inflammation cascade. So for instance, again, talking about eczema, the type 2 de-helper cell activation and secretion of substances such as IL-4 or IL-13 cytokines that are at the beating heart of the eczema skin inflammation.
0: Very quickly with your gut health is that completely separate to your skin health so if you're looking after your gut microbiome that doesn't translate into your skin does it or is that just something that we don't really know? We
2: don't we don't know people haven't really looked at that interface between gut and skin from a microbiome point of view enough Most studies take, um, you know, a a siloed approach. It's either skin samples being taken or gut samples being taken. I think we're quite unique in that we have a cohort of infants, 1,300 infants um, in a cohort that I um, have led with a pediatric allergy team at King's College London, where we've got both Gut and skin microbiome samples. I'm the principal investigator of the microbiome-related work in that study, and we are about to sequence the skin samples. The gut microbiome analysis is about to be published over the next few months. But um, downstream, then we are we are hoping to do some combined analyses where we're looking at at gut and skin microbiome together. But that needs a lot of further work, and it's more complicated than what we discussed so far because the skin barrier function, everything that comes into that, not just the change in pH, for instance, but also lipid profiles, tight junction, dysfunction, the whole story around filaggrin and eczema, um, as well as the bacteria all seem to be feeding into the same vicious cycle. And the bacteria are just one particular aspect of the whole story. And by just addressing the bacteria, you may not be fully winning either as a treatment or in a preventative sense.
0: Yeah I mean it sounds extremely complex it sounds like there's so many variables and that it's sort of a whole orchestra of things that can impact on your skin and your skin barrier but it's, it's very interesting just to get even you know a top level insight into this whole microscopic world that most people probably have given very little thought to so thank you so much for taking the time to explain that to us and thank you so much for coming on the
2: podcast. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Carsten. Really enlightening there. And some good research on the horizon, it sounds like. So yeah, very much appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. Thank you.
2: You're
0: welcome. A big thank you to Professor Carsten Floor for being our last guest of this season. I think the whole microbiome topic is really interesting. There's obviously quite a lot of research into the gut microbiome. And it seems that the skin research, although perhaps not at the same stage yet, is heading that way. I certainly thought that Some of the potential for tailored treatments, the idea that, you know, you potentially harvest bacteria from your skin microbiome or healthy bacteria from the skin microbiome, develop those cultures and have a personalised treatment for skin disease. I mean, I think that's such a fascinating idea, whether or not it can come to fruition and, and, you know, it's a practical treatment is another question. But I certainly think it's just some really interesting ideas are being explored in this area.
1: Yeah, I think we've definitely spoken to Carsten at a really good time because there is emerging evidence. So it makes it quite a nice fresh topic. But it's definitely one that I think we will want to revisit in the future, um, because I imagine there's going to be, you know, new breakthroughs and new discoveries pending. It's already interesting to see how, you know, cosmetics companies are capitalising on this research into microbiome. And, you know, it's a bit of a buzzword, not just in medicine, but in cosmetics as well. Whether or not that's perhaps premature um, is something to be discussed, whether all the research is there for its benefits in terms of, you know, skin aging or cosmetic skin benefits. But yeah, it's something I definitely look forward to chatting about again in the future.
0: Yeah. And what Carsten said. It's a case of having a little bit of healthy scepticism about some of the claims being made around skin microbiome at this stage in terms of, you know, if you're already seeing it on packaging and so on, it's a little bit a case of jumping the gun. But, you know, hopefully in the future, it will have a really important part to play, particularly when it comes to skin disease and the health side rather than cosmetic
1: yeah i agree and i think that's quite a high note to end season one on a sort of forward looking episode really and looking forward to covering lots of different topics in season two
0: yeah exactly Now I'm, I'm looking forward to it i think we've already got quite a few ideas of what's to come but if anybody wants to suggest any topics that you think would be good for us to cover then give us a shout on our social media which is at Tested on instagram and twitter